For over 20 years, I've had a weight issue that was masking a deeper issue, food addiction. Welcome to Foodiction, a podcast about food addiction recovery. I am your host, Julie Hatch. Good morning. It's a beautiful, rainy morning over here in (laughs) mid-Utah. I used to call it Northern Utah, but I was corrected recently and they're like, no, where you live is mid, it's considered mid-Utah. Okay. Northern is somebody who may have lived in Southern Utah once upon a time, but that's okay. (laughs) Uh, lots, Lots of learning, lots of interesting insights and things that have come to mind. I'm sitting here struggling a little bit to put it into words and to make sense of it, to organize my thoughts a little bit. So I hope you bear with me. I was thinking today about agency and the part that it plays in addiction. I think a lot of people are under the impression that any addict feels like their addiction is just something that happened to them, much like a disease, like cancer, right? That there's several people that I think really believe that addicts are just people who call their addiction a disease and use it as a crutch and use it for sympathy or something like that. I certainly came across this point of view from a friend of mine recently, but I've given this a lot of thought and I thought, you know, it's interesting because I never at any time through my journey said that uh, I don't, that agency doesn't have a part in addiction. Every addiction begins with a decision to try it for the first time, to try whatever that thing is that you're addicted to for the first time. And every exit out of addiction also requires a decision. And either you're going to hit a point where it's rock bottom, or you will do the work that is necessary to overcome it or to get help. But yes, agency does does definitely play a part in it. And I think that that is actually what differentiates it from a disease like cancer or anything else. But dismissing it altogether is also not accurate, right? It's also not correct (laughs) because it is a real thing. Addiction is a real thing, whether you're addicted to food or you're addicted to pornography, or you're addicted to gambling or sex or whatever it is that you are addicted to, there reaches a point where your brain is in an altered state and it renders you so weak that it feels next to impossible to make sound decisions, let alone follow through with them to stop the addiction. Um, Your brain feels quite literally hijacked. And in some ways it is because it's misfiring. It can't handle all the chemicals that are released. And so it misfires and malfunctions, which, which just renders the person vulnerable to, uh, 
all the harms that addiction causes. It's really interesting. I, I, through this journey, it's hard to even put into words, even what I'm going through right now, overcoming addiction has forced me to turn to my higher power that I know to be God, because I often have felt too weak to completely abstain 100% from the things, the very things that I am addicted to. It's forced me to go in and turn in. I don't know, you know, I don't know how people go cold turkey. I don't know how they do that. I've had grandparents and friends who quit smoking cold turkey. And I, I marvel at that. I just don't understand how they did that because I have not found <laughs> overcoming food addiction as simple as I can just turn off a switch and be done with it. I marvel at the strength. Some people are stronger. Some people absolutely are stronger and maybe they're more hardwired that way to be able to do something like that. I applaud them regardless. It's got to be hard regardless. But for me, this journey has been soul wrenching. And it's interesting that at this point in my life, I found that it's not enough just to turn to God. I also have to do the work. The inspiration that comes, I have to follow through with that. And for me, it's looked like I've had to rebuild a foundation for this new lifestyle that I'm seeking, that I'm learning how to live. I've had to reestablish this foundation. It's almost as if addiction shattered this foundation and now I have to go and rebuild it and build it differently, build it stronger. So it's required me to really dig deep into the things that I need to work on and heal my mental mindset or frame, the way I frame things in my mind, the emotional work of, of healing past trauma that I believe contributed to this addiction to begin with. Um, and even just healing old wounds. It's not that weren't necessarily considered traumatic, but just old wounds. I've had to reconnect with my higher power that I know to be God and ask for his divine help and assistance, his strength, his power, because literally it has felt that hard for me. And what that looks like is I realized at some point that I'd become complacent in my relationship with my savior, just kind of lazy, not really doing much with it. Like God exists and that's great. And I'll go to church and that's great. And read some scriptures here and there and that's great. And I'll pray, but some, most of the time, not earnestly, not with my whole heart, just more like going through the motions. Right. So I realized at some point that I needed to, I needed a new heart. First of all, I needed a heart that would align with God's principles, with the things that he desired for me. I needed to, in a sense, shut down my will and focus on God's will for me. 
I needed to get on the same team as him. So I decided that I was going to do this morning devotional. I would wake up at five o'clock every morning, rain or shine, didn't matter. And I would do a morning devotional. And that devotional looked like a little bit of background music, some candles, some candlelight, um, reading my scriptures, a chat, at least, at least one verse, but the aim was one chapter, um, and journaling, doing some light stretches. That's really what my morning devotional has looked like. Now, it's interesting because as I develop this habit, it doesn't look the way I had totally envisioned. There's some nights I got to bed so late because I had insomnia that I literally couldn't get myself out of bed, but I still woke up at five o'clock. I still managed to read one verse of scripture and one thought, one positive thought, and then I'd turn around and go to bed. Some mornings it looked like, like this morning, I had insomnia last night. I'd last two nights, I haven't been sleeping well. I got up at 4.30 this morning because I couldn't sleep anymore. And I sat on my couch. I was so groggy. Um, and I read my scriptures there. I didn't go to my desk. I didn't play background music. I didn't um, listen to music. And I'm okay with it because I'm realizing I'm establishing a habit. I'm establishing, I'm holding a space for that five o'clock habit. And so it might look different out the gate day to day, but I know eventually it's going to, it's going to all come together and this habit will feel like something that's automatic. It's just something that I do. That's the hope anyway. But it's interesting to me how I really view that as a health habit, like a health goal. It's something that is connected to health. And I realized a long time ago when I started this journey that I I didn't want, I wasn't just satisfied with physical health. I wanted complete health on every level, emotionally, mentally, financially, socially. I want to be healthy in every way possible. That is my goal. And that inspiration came through addressing something that was physical and needing to address the physical with the spiritual, which is really interesting. It's interesting how all interconnected it is, how all the facets of our life, whether it's emotional, physical, mental, social, financial, whatever it is, they're all interconnected. They're all interconnected. And it's really interesting to see how just focusing on the spiritual aspect Um, or just on the physical aspect has crossed over into other areas to also focus on. I find that so fascinating. But you know, I more and more appreciate my friend who shared her point of view because it's allowed me to put myself in her shoes. It's allowed me to consider what why people feel the way they do. Why do so many people cancel food addiction and dismiss it? Why do so many people do that? It's, it's fascinating to me. And it's, it's interesting how this friend of mine assumed that I just saw no, no part of agency in this whole addiction mess 
<laughs> it's it's just interesting. People's perception is very interesting to me. And it's taken many years to get to a point where I could hear a, an opposing um, opinion or thought. It's taken me many, many, many years. And I'm still, this is probably the first time I've allowed myself to do it. And so I'm still clumsy about it. I still, I still have much room to grow in that regard. And I talked about how we need our naysayers last week, but it's so true because we need, we need different points of view. I think that different, I think that when we open our minds up to a different point of view, it allows us to empathize in different ways. We begin to have compassion for others and we begin to understand them a little bit better. They challenge us and we grow through them. We need that opposition, so to speak. And so I really appreciate her sharing that. But you know, it's one of those things. Here I am in my life and everything's been taken off my platter. This happened about, gosh, um, I feel like everything was taken off my platter last year sometime, probably in the summer of last year is when I started feeling like everything's off my platter. I was ready to go back to work. I was ready to go back to work and I kept getting a no, 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 no. And I don't, I couldn't understand why. Then we moved and I started helping to care for the couple, the elderly couple that lives above me. And and now I watch my granddaughter one day a week and things are kind of coming into place. But, but in retrospect, it still feels like I have all this ample time and I've been trying to figure out what to do with it. Sometimes I feel understimulated and bored and that's hard because that triggers my addiction. I want to entertain myself with food And it's given me ample time to sit and think and mull things over and really be introspective at this point in my life, which is also hard because in the past, the way that I dealt with my emotions is with food. I would emotionally eat. I binged. I have um, a binge eating disorder as well as an addiction. Um, Sometimes I wonder if those two just go hand in hand, but I don't. I haven't studied that enough to know better or to really, I just know that I have a binge eating disorder um, and that it's played a part in my addiction for sure. Um, this sense of always needing more and never feeling satisfied is an interesting one to me. And this, this whole thing surrounding being in sacrifice, always feeling in sacrifice and feeling like I need to compensate with food is really interesting. But here I am nonetheless, and I have all this ample time and it's really uncomfortable for me. And there's only one other time that I remember feeling this way. And it was just before my friend Rebecca passed away. And I had confided in her one day in her home about just feeling so uncomfortable with being still. And hard it was for me to just be still and be in the moment and be present. I have been a pro of disconnecting and detaching 
throughout my life as a coping mechanism. And so um, I got very good at it. Now it's as though everything's been removed from my platter, except for maybe a couple things here or there. But in general, my platter is pretty clean. And I'm thinking to myself, what, why am I so uncomfortable with this? <laughs> why is it so hard for me to be still? Why is it so hard for me to just be calm and be centered and be grounded? Why is that so hard for me? And I'm realizing that it, it feels so surreal to me sometimes because I definitely feel like I'm in school. I definitely feel like I'm going through this massive learning curve, a life-altering kind of learning curve. But it also feels like I'm kind of just out there in the void somewhere. My identity has even been stripped down to practically nothing and yet everything because now I just simply identify myself as a daughter of God. Because I don't, like in the past when I was an entrepreneur or even when I was a cosmetologist or, you know, whatever it was that I was doing, a teacher at a private school, I always identified myself with what I was doing, either my occupational title, my educational status, um, my accomplishments. I always identified myself through those filters and in not doing those things currently, it's as if I, I, in some respects, I feel like I've been stripped of my identity and I'm learning a new one, one that isn't an addict, one that isn't a trauma survivor, one that isn't anything except a child of God, a daughter of God. That's it. And I feel as though I grabbed hold of the Savior's hand and he's walking me through all the steps that I need to take in order to overcome addiction and get healthy and healed. It's like he's taking me on this journey. And I'm always amazed at, this, at the insights and the downloads, all the things that I'm learning, the paradigm shifts that seem to be a regular occurrence in my life at this point. And... And, and it's peaceful and it's calm. And I can't remember ever a, a time in my life when I wasn't planning for the future. This is truly one time in my life where I feel the most present, where I'm learning to live each day to its fullest in the moment, where there's this abundance of peace, no matter what I'm learning or going through, no matter how hard it is no matter what's happening around me externally that may be difficult, it's as, it's as if I feel like I'm in this bubble of just peace and a magnitude of love for my Savior. And in some ways, it reminds me of like a near-death experience, only I'm alive and I'm experiencing these things. And I don't even know what it all means. I I'm assuming and I kind of sense that it's probably preparatory for larger trials to come. Um, I mean, I know inevitably my parents will someday pass, my husband will someday pass, and the odds are they'll pass before me. And I know that in order to get through things like that, I need to become stronger. And so I feel like not only is this 
to help me learn to heal and overcome addiction and to get healthy in general, but to help me become stronger so that I can endure what is to come in my future. That is inevitable. And there may be things that I don't even know are in my future that have nothing to do with death that could just be equally trying. And maybe the good Lord knows that. And he's just trying to really help me become stronger, which I'm grateful for. It's a very humbling thing because I'm realizing how little I know about so much, because the more that you learn, the less, you know, you realize that knowledge is infinite and, and you just wait for the next piece to come when the good Lord knows you're ready for it. Um, it's just interesting to me, all of this. And I, I don't really know how to make sense of it all completely. I mean, I have some ideas, but I don't know if they're right. And it's, it's just, it's so weird because in some ways I feel so invisible and yet at the same time, I feel so blatantly visible to the Lord. I feel invisible to the world, but very visible to the Lord. I feel like in the world, I have no place. <laughs> I know that's not true or, you know, because I'm still here, but it feels that way. And the things that I've been focusing on my life aren't, aren't really for me. It's not about me yet. Somehow I'm being completely influenced and affected by the things that I'm experiencing in a positive way, of course, but it's almost, sometimes I feel like an outsider to the world of things that are happening in the world currently or in amongst my loved ones. It just feels like I'm on the outside looking in and it's a very strange experience. This whole time in my life is just very, very strange. I, I'm learning how to become okay with not needing to be in the spotlight. I know that sounds almost narcissistic really, but the reality is that when I was an entrepreneur, when I was doing all those things, my pride was inflated. And it hid a lot of deep insecurities. I was very, very insecure, even though I was having a taste of success. It's kind of ironic how that is, but that was the case with me. And <clears throat> I'm learning how to be okay with not drawing attention to myself. You know, I know it comes from partly because I was raised in a very large family and so many different and strong personalities and so many, so much action, even chaos. <laughs> and I felt lost in the shuffle. I was the middle child, oldest daughter, but the, still the middle child. And I felt lost in the shuffle. And I felt like the only time that I could really get attention or the only time that I, I got positive attention was when I accomplished something in school with my art. That's the only time I really ever felt like that I was very close. It's, I, I don't know why I felt that way. Cause I was very close to my mom, especially, but I also was feeling very rejected amongst my peers. Um, friends that 
I still have today that probably don't even know how hurt I was by some of the things they did or said, but, um, but I felt a deep rejection. I remember starting my junior year in high school with no friends at all. And I had a friend that returned from out of the country. And when she returned, she became friends with another girl and I tried to hang out with them and they totally made fun of me behind my back and, and pretty much rejected me. I wasn't cool enough. I wasn't into fashion and all the things that they were into. And it hurt. I'm still friends with that person, but it's more like acquaintances now. I mean, time, many, many years have passed and I still love her. I love my friends regardless, but it was hard. And I'm, I guess I should be thankful though, because the rejection that I experienced throughout my life with my friendships, with my romantic relationships, um, sometimes even with my own parents actually has helped me learn how to be alone. It's, it's taught me how to be alone and how to, how to be okay with me when everybody else isn't okay with me or when I do feel so misunderstood sometimes. It's taught me how to not rely on the acceptance of others. I constantly sought it throughout my life because there's, I think, a deep need that we all have to, to feel a sense of belonging and to feel loved. And I acknowledge that. And yes, it is very painful to experience rejection. However, if I hadn't gone through those things, if I hadn't, if my loved ones hadn't posed that um, experience for me to, to learn and live through, I wouldn't have been able to be comfortable with being alone. And, and honestly, I find a lot, a lot of serenity in being alone. It's actually my preference. I'm very much introverted and maybe I'm not, maybe I wasn't born that way. Maybe I'm just, you know, a product of my circumstance, but I, I am introverted. I, I have to unplug after I'm around a lot of people and probably because I've not been conditioned to be around a lot of people. I mean, I grew up with a lot of people, but, and that could play a part in it too, but it's just interesting. I'm like, well, all of these things though are all part of learning how to recover from addiction because I'm having to address these things. And I'm kind of surprised that it's taken me this long to address some of these things. Maybe I wasn't ready before, or maybe it just wasn't the right context for me to learn in, but I'm grateful for the lessons and I'm grateful for this quiet time in my life right now, because I know it's not always going to be this way. The one thing that is a guarantee in life is change. And I'm trying to learn how to be more flexible and how to, how to work with the grain instead of against the grain of human nature. (laughs) I'm trying to learn that piece, but you know, I, I don't see myself as a victim. Yes. I experience an addiction to food, but I don't see myself as a victim. And I definitely understand that. Yes, there is a piece in addiction 
that begins and ends with a choice and begins with our agency. And I think that's really important to clarify. I, and I, you know, I don't believe that anybody uses their addiction as a crutch. I think that with addiction, shame accompanies the cycle of addiction. Shame is the very thing that makes us want to hide what we're doing. The last thing we want is attention on ourselves and certainly not through the doors of addiction because trust me, I don't know one addict that doesn't feel completely weak. Um, and so the dismissal is, is rough. It's rough when people dismiss that it's like, wow. Okay. It, Cause when you're already feeling weak, the last thing you need is someone to come around, kick you down and say, your experience isn't valid or real. You know, it may not be their experience, but if it's yours and you're going through it and it feels real, it's real. And you don't need someone to validate that. You, In fact, what I'm learning is that we can't rely on others to validate our experiences through addiction and addiction recovery. So it's really interesting, but thank you for listening today. And just know that I, I love each of you and I'm grateful for each of you and appreciate this opportunity to share more of my journey with you. I hope it helps you in some way, shape or form. And until next Monday, make today great. Thank you.